actually so we need to have a wee review just to get our minds into what we've been uh, learning in Matthew chapter 10 um, it, it is the, the the initial the first going out of the the original disciples or apostles uh, there'll be disciples but soon to be apostles um, which means basically sent out one so really they're being they're doing that just thing disciple means a student an apostle means sent out one so they are students but they're also going to be sent out and here's our first Sending out in Matthew chapter 10, we see. Um, and, and it's a specific mission to the, the Jews in the area. They go out to the various regions and the areas and towns and whatnot quickly to send out a message quickly. But in doing so, you're going to meet a lot of resistance. And so last week, or probably two or three weeks ago, so last time you talked about this, we remember that Jesus warned them there's going to be opposition, there's going to be trouble. The mission's difficult. Sometimes Jesus. Sometimes God asks us to do something different or difficult. He asks us to do something that goes against our character, our nature, something that kind of challenges us. But that's okay. He's asked his disciples there. He loves his disciples. He loves them deeply and dearly. And the reality is he wants to see them fulfill their lives <laughs> and their calling. And so doing something difficult isn't bad. It's, it's all right. And here he's saying you're going to go out and do a very difficult task. But it's all right. Here we see the difficult side of things. And we can read through the difficult side of things and say, I don't like that. Like sending you out as a sheep among wolves. That sounds dangerous. You'll be handed over to local authorities. Flogged in, in the synagogues. That doesn't sound nice. You'll be brought before governors and kings. Now think about this, that, that, what they're dealing with here. The authority local councils, you know, the rulers, governors, and kings. You can already see, and I've got to hear in a verse in a few moments here, Ephesians, how he says, you know, our battle is against flesh and blood, but against these authorities, against these rulers. Not against people. It's against a system in this dark, fallen world. This world's a dark, fallen world. And we're going to meet resistance, especially if we're shedding light. The disciples are going to go out and shed light. The dark world is going to oppose them. And the leader of this dark world. Now, we're talking about the darkness of the world, the fallenness of the world. We're talking about, because there could be genuine, you know, leaders, genuine council people, genuine politicians, genuine kings and queens. We're not saying that they're all bogus. What he's talking about here, he's talking about the fallen nature of the world and the fallen humanity that tends to be influenced by the darker side of, of reality and, and spiritual things as well, which, of course, is satanic as well. But here we see this resistance from Satan, which he uses these counselors and these governors and kings, right? So again, going on, but not just them, but your family as well. Brothers will betray brothers to death. Father his child, children will rebel against their parents, and have them put to death. And basically everyone, <laughs> he concludes, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. Ah, that's not sounding nice, Jesus. We don't want this mission but where there is resistance, where there is a case brought before us, and 
the message of today's Bible study is, if I were to message it, I actually changed it midway through. I wasn't to call it just spiritual warfare, but then I realized if I look at the scriptures, really the better way of titling it is your day in court. Somebody has a case against you, an accusation against you, and here is the accusations flung at you, and you're, here they are defending themselves, basically. So they need a defense, these disciples. They need a defense. And where did their defense come from? Again, this is portions of last time we met in Matthew 10. First thing he says is be shrewd as snakes or as wise as snakes. We need to be mature, upright, self-controlled, shrewd as snakes, and as innocent as doves. The word innocent, free from evil. Some translations will say um, gentle as doves. But the idea is being free from guile, manipulation, lies, deceit. Simple. Free from evil. Simple and pure. And so when the accusations come against us, or against these people specifically, these disciples, that there really is no case against them. Because they are shrewd, they're wise, but they're also gentle, innocent, free from evil and guile. So there really is no genuine case against them. That's a good place to start for a defense. Be innocent. As opposed to guilty. Be on guard is another one. You gotta be watchful. You can't just be stupid and go about and oops. Uh, my mouth got me in trouble. Oops. I got I showed up at the wrong place at the wrong time. Oops. Gotta be careful. Be on guard. Which means also putting on the practice and the thought of Jesus. Practice spirituality. Practice it. Being devoted in mind and heart and soul. One of the things I've been dealing with this year, I don't want to say it's a resolution or resolution, we want to call them. But it's definitely something I wanted to purposefully do for my own life is make this like the year of um, just the soul or the spirit. For me, I just want to kind of just look at myself. You know, I, I do believe that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Behavior comes from where you are as a spirit person, your soul, deep inside. So I've been wanting to really just not think about my behavior, not think about who I am and how I'm out there, but more or less think about who I am inside. And of course, the assumption is that the more I change inside, the more I'll change on the outside. So that's kind of my own little kind of thing for this year. So the idea, again, being on guard, being thoughtful about who you are as a person and your surroundings and how you're affecting them. Um, but also the cool thing is don't be worried. You're going to see a lot of this don't worry, don't be afraid. And the cool thing is, is don't be worried, don't be afraid because God's got your back. If you're living for him and you're serving him and you're speaking on behalf of him and you're doing what he told you to do and he asked you to do, you don't have to be afraid of getting opposed by the enemy because God's got your back. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of the Father speaking through you. And of course, it goes on to saying the one who stands firm. So again, standing firm, being bold, being brave, will be protected. You will be saved. When you are persecuted, one place flees to another. And of course, there's the wisdom in this. Don't stay there if you're going to be persecuted unnecessarily. It's okay to keep moving and to keep going on. Especially with their mission, because their mission was to get the gospel out quickly. Next one, please. So this is a spiritual battle, like I already made reference to in Ephesians you know, 6.10. It says, be strong in the Lord. In his mighty power. Be strong in his mighty power. Not your power. Forget about Satan and his power. We'll deal with that in a second. It's not much of power anyways, really. It's, it's frightening if you don't have God on your side. But when God's on your side, there's nothing to be afraid of because God's much more powerful than he is. Put on the full armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil and his schemes. 
for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we think a lot. I don't like that person. I don't like what that person's doing. I, I, it's this, because of that person that I'm struggling and I'm, uh, I'm being you know, persecuted or frustrated or whatever. It's not about the person. It's, it's, it's a bigger picture than that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Okay, like I said earlier, these, the rulers of the day, the authorities here, and the powers, they're the ones who, so it's almost like a system that's darkened, it's blinded. We're living in a fallen world that's blinded. And so, of course, the system, and people are going to follow the system because they think the system's trustworthy. Because after all, they're the rulers and the authorities and the powers. So we need to do what they tell us to do. And so like, I think of like how when Jesus was, was, went before Pilate, and they all shouted, you know, you, know, you know, execute Jesus and free Barabbas. They were being influenced by the dark powers and rulers of the world. It wasn't the individuals. They were, they were kind of like blind, deaf sheep who were just following other blind, deaf sheep. And the reality is there is a system. There is a general big picture that's, that, is, that, that is being corrupted by the fallen, sinful nature of the world and also by Satan himself. And that's what he goes on to say. And against the spiritual forces of evil. So we got the system that's broken. And we also have Satan who has broken it and still keeps it from being fixed. He shakes it up. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So in summary, where we are just now with, with what we're looking at with disciples and in their situation and with this scripture here, basically Satan's a liar and he's a false accuser. He's going to bring accusations against the disciples as they go out to do a genuine good work. Make people think that they're actually disgenuine, that they are liars and accusers themselves, which is a, a lie. But that's what Satan does. That's what he's known for. He's known as being a liar or accuser. The worldly rulers, authorities, and powers are basically tools used by Satan to attempt to stop Christ's message from reaching the lost. So in court, and this is where we are now, Matthew 10, 24. In court, Christ was rejected. He was accused of being a Beelzebub, of being Satan, basically, the devil, which is just a lie from the devil himself. It's very ironic, isn't it? Who else would call Satan the devil but the devil himself? Who else would call himself the Christ, who's not the Christ, but the Antichrist himself? So you see, it's the very nature of the lying personality, the lying nature, the manipulative nature of Satan himself, that he would call what's genuine false and what's false genuine. So we have the Antichrist, who's pretends to be Christ, but it's false. Just like you have the genuine Christ who's called the Beelzebub. And they called that to Jesus. They're going to call that to his disciples as well. And so he goes on to say, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and as servants like their masters. If the head of the house can be called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So you serve me, he says, disciples. You are my students, my, my servants, my disciples, right? So you're not greater than I am. You're not going to be free from the problems, the woes, and the dilemmas that I have to deal with. Because you follow me, you have to deal with similar situations. One of those is these accusations. You are Beelzebub. You are a liar. You're a fake, whatever it may be. Jesus was called that. So will his disciples. Because we are like them. These are very common words. I don't even know why I put them up. Hooper, which where we get the word hyper, you know, that speaks of above, means more, beyond, where we might get the word hyper in general, or like hyper, you know, hypochondriac, 
hyper, you know, like scene making, all these different words that have the word hyper in front of it, right? It means more or, or, or out of control, something that's beyond over. And the word like is beautiful because we are like his disciples. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like him. And we learn from him. We sit before Jesus to become like him. That's what we want. Of course, the word simply is hos, to be as or like or even as. So because we're like Jesus, people have, in our world, think of the negative thoughts people have about Jesus today. First of all, there's the lies that he wasn't the son of God, that he's just a simple man, that he was a humanitarian or whatever, but that's it, no more, no less. There's those who think that Jesus was the total insane, and the people who follow him are insane as well. That's what he's saying here. It's, it's a no-brainer. The way people think, the way people feel about Jesus, the way people are going to feel about those who follow him. But the irony is this. Here, he's been accused as, as Beelzebub. And like I said earlier, there's an ironic twist to that because the reality is, there is also the Satan, the devil, the Beelzebub, the enemy. You know, and that enemy, and here's, he also has a play of words here. You know, the head of the household has been called Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the house. How much more the members? So he's using some wordplay here, but the reality is there is a Beelzebub, a, a, a devil, a deceiver, a Satan. And, and we want to look at, at him for just, just briefly and those who follow him. Because those who follow him, who are his servants, his students, his members of his household, they're not above him either. So whatever we see about Satan and his limitations, his fallen you know, servants or students or members of his household are going to be greater than he is. You see the, see the connection? Jesus, we're his disciples. We're not greater than he is. Beelzebub or Satan, his followers, his system, his way, his authority, his powers are going to be above him. So let's look at the next slide and see the limits that Satan has upon him and the great um, authority and power that our Jesus has. Actually, it's going to be the next slide, but before we get to that slide, I want to look at this next scriptures in verse 26, 28, where I've labeled this part, you know, really the, the real devil, the real Beelzebub. He's a defeated foe. He's, he's done. There's, there's no fear. And for the rest of this Bible study, I'm going to really pick apart the fact that he is defeated. He's conquered. He is, he is really no real threat. He will try to attack and he will try to knock us out. But if we trust in God, he really is no real threat. It says then going on in 1026, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because again, we're following after the one who's got the true power and the authority. Do not be afraid of them, those accusers. For there is nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will, not, will, uh, that will not be made known. Basically, they've got no case against you. They're not going to bring up something and say, oh, look at Jesus and his followers are, you know, you could trust in Jesus. That what he says, what he's done is true and genuine. And there's no other hidden bits of information that will be brought against you. But the irony is things that are concealed to hinder knowledge of a thing things that are concealed. Satan wants to hinder certain bits of information, certain bits of knowledge, like the gospel, like what Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, and what he's willing to do for you, and for our society. It's hindered. Even today, in fact, it's hindered today probably more so than it has ever been today, or in history. Satan wants to hinder the knowledge of a certain thing, the knowledge of Jesus in God's kingdom. He wants to hinder that. But Jesus will make sure that it's disclosed. That's why he says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. 
Don't be afraid. It needs to be spoken. What is whispered in your ear? Proclaim from the roofs. It needs to be proclaimed. The truth. Don't be afraid of what they're going to do to you, what they're going to say about you and whatever. Do not be afraid. It needs to be spoken. It needs to be the word to, uh, for instance, to be disclosed or to be revealed. That's where we get the word revelation from. It's apocalypto, to make known, like apocalypse, to make manifest, disclose. We need to disclose the truth of Jesus. And that's why we don't stop Sundays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and every other day to proclaim the gospel. And again, don't be afraid. There's no real case against you. God's got your back. Speak the truth of the kingdom of God with no fear. For you serve a greater master than he is. Again, he says, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Yeah, they might take you down. Think about that. Like, it's just kind of like, count the, the worst case scenario. <laughs> worst case scenario. I go to court and they decide to hang me. No, they don't do that no much anymore. But they will lock you up or slap you in the hand or find you. But hey, they might hang me or whatever. Big deal. I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in he who can destroy both the body and soul. Or rather both the soul and body in hell. So God is the ultimate judge. I serve him. I want to be right before him. I feel sorry for those who oppose him. I feel sorry for those who oppose the gospel. I deeply feel sorry for them because they have something greater to fear. You could take my body, but my soul's safe in God's hand. I'm worried about those people who don't know him, who can be destroyed both body and soul. That's a frightful thing. So if anything, that should encourage us to keep on going with the gospel. Next slide. Now, let's look again at the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. I love the book of Revelation. We studied this um, months, months, months back. But look at the power. Pretend like you're like John, who was sitting here seeing these things and writing these things down. Look at who the real authority and the real power is. Okay? Look who the real owner of the world is. It's not Satan. He's, 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 he's a squatter. He's, he's, he's claimed something that's not rightfully his. But Jesus is the true owner. Here we have these legal documents, these scrolls that are sealed. Only the legal owner of, of, of these title deeds is able to open the seals up. And look who the real owner, the real possessor of these soul, of scrolls, which basically represent the world, who it belongs to. It says here in verse 1 of Revelation 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. See, even God doesn't open these souls himself, the God the Father. He's sitting there holding it. And he's saying, who does this belong to? And the cool thing is, is because, well, we'll see who it belongs to. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who has the right who owns it? Who, who has, who's, the, who's the rightful owner of, these, of this title deed to open it? But, verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. So you get the point here under this highlighted portion of scriptures. No one ever at any time has the right. That includes Satan, his demons, any person. Nobody has the right. Under, above earth, in heaven, Nobody, 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 nobody. But let's go on. Verse 4. I wept and wept because there was, because no one was found who was worthy, who had the right, the authority to open the scroll or look inside. 
Then, all of a sudden, so we were really sad with John. We're like, this is a sad thing. But then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, do not cry. See, he points over, the lion of a tribe of Judah, the root of David. This is Jesus Christ. He has triumphed. He's triumphed. How did he triumph? Well, we're going to deal with that in a second. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll on its seven seals. He is able. He is the one. He's the only one who's able to, who's the rightful owner of the world. He's able to open the title deeds of everything. He is able to open the scroll. He won it over through his triumph. Satan falsely tried to steal it away, but now it belongs to Jesus. And so what does that say about those who follow Jesus, trust, trusting in him? If he's the true authority and the true power, what does that say about us? I'm going to stop with that because of time and move on to the next one. But that, that gets the point across, I believe. Read more of it at home if you want to. So who is this lamb that we see here? Later on, it goes, that I saw a lamb looking, by the way, who was slain, and that was Jesus Christ. But who is this lamb? This, this, it says it also in Revelation 17, 14, that these, well, these enemies, these worldly, darkly worldly authorities and powers and Satan himself will rage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them or conquer them. This is the lamb. The lamb's an overcomer. He's a conqueror. That's the lamb, Jesus Christ. The enemy is conquered. The lamb is victorious. This is, I hate, to, I hate spoiler breakers, but there you go. It's, we've, been, <laughs> we've been spoiled. You know, we've been, or the, uh, yeah, sorry. We're going to win. <laughs> you know, you don't have to sit around and guess. You know, there's no, there's no point in going and wondering. The reality is the lamb is the winner. He's the victorious. He's the overcomer. Because he is the Lord of Lords. And he's the King of Kings. And those who are Ah, this is beautiful. Those who are with him, you, for his disciples, me, his disciples, the apostles here, those who are with him are also called the chosen and faithful. We are chosen. We are faithful. That speaks of the church. The church has been chosen. That was a part of his plan. We talk about plans a lot of times. You know, last week when we did the, 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 the New Year sermon, you know, he's got a plan for us, for new creations. We are chosen. He's got a plan for us. We're also faithful, which means when we're told to do something, we've got to do it. So who is this Beelzebub fellow that, that, that the disciples are being accused of being, that Jesus was accused of being? And who is the real Beelzebub, the real so-called Lord of the house? Well, Revelation 20 tells us about Satan, basically, and the devil, and what, 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 what kind of a place he will end up, his situation. It says, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must release for a short time. Look at the content. First of all, not even Jesus, not even God deals with Satan. Just this angel, with an angel with no name. Just the angel comes. Okay, oi, let's go. You're going, you're going under. I mean, look at the power Satan has. Not much. We have this little angel coming up. Now, bear in mind, I'm, angels aren't little. They're, they're powerful creatures. <laughs> but still, the point is, God didn't have to wrestle them down. He, 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 he delegated to an angel. Go bring Satan, lock him up. 
That's the kind of power, that's the kind of strength Satan has. Not very much, really, compared to our one, the one who we follow and serve. But look at also, he's a deceiver. That's what he does. That's what he's done. That's what he does. He's a deceiver. He's deceived people. He's deceived those who are going to bring accusations against his disciples. He's a deceiver. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Realize that those people who are out to get us as individuals, they've been deceived. They've been lied to. We need to pray for them and have hearts for them because they've been lied to by the devil. He's a deceiver. That's what he's known for here. Next one. Um, so the cross. The cross is what defeated. The cross is what gives Jesus victory. They give him the, the right to claim the world and to claim us and, the, and to claim victory over Satan. It's the cross. And, and it's what makes us his. It's what declares us not guilty. It's what gives us innocence. Colossians 2, 9 to 15. We'll end with this slide as well. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up the rest on the next week's Bible study. So Colossians 2, 9 15 says this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So in Christ, we've got the full on God and all of his power, basically. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you are made complete. So we have God in his fullness. We have 100% God in Jesus Christ, who you follow. But we also have 100% you. You being made full. You being made complete. He is the head over every power and authority. Ah, here we go back to the powers and the authorities. This battle, the struggle. You see, Satan is a deceiver and a liar. And there's this darkness and there's this bogusness. But the true authority is Jesus Christ. He, Jesus is the head of every power and authority. He's truly in control. He may allow, give some, some space for Satan to do his shenanigans. <laughs> That's a good word. But the reality is, ultimately, God's in control. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision, not performed by hands, Basically, you're clean of the flesh, your guilt, the sin. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised with him. So that old way, the fleshly way, having been buried with him in baptism, baptism is a sign of being changed, renewed, cleaned, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Going on, when you were dead in your sin, so basically he's saying the old way was a, a deadly way. It was a deceived, manipulated, fleshly way. Okay? And you were basically dead in sins. You were basically considered guilty or condemned. And that's the state of those who don't know Jesus. They're, 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 they're considered condemned. Dead, basically. Because it's, it's like a legal charge. Again, the idea here is like a court situation. Where the, where the judge nails his hammer against the, against the desk and shouts out, you're guilty. You're a dead man walking. That's how we were like with Christ. We might look like we're alive, but we were dead men and women walking, waiting to be condemned. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But here's the good news, and this is why the gospel needs to be preached. God made you alive with Christ. God made you alive with Christ. Satan doesn't want this information leaked. But the reality is he has no choice because God's the authority. God's the power. Christ is the authority. Christ is the power. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Of course, again, here we are. We're being charged against people for being Beelzebub or whatever, being false prophets, whatever it may be. They're, the people are having various accusations against Jesus, against his disciples. But he goes, the reality is there is no legal charge against us. That charge has been, bam, nailed to the cross. 
The charge has been canceled. Anything that's genuinely can be held against us, our sins, basically, in our old way, our flesh, it's been counseled because of, we've been forgiven by the one who is the true judge. You see what I'm saying? There's the, 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 the false judges. Again, by false judges, I say it in the sense that, like, um, you know, there are, it's the accusations against us. Because if you go out and you commit a, 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 a genuine offense, like you go out and kill someone or whatever, and you're going to go before a judge, he's going he's to charge you for that. <laughs> I hate to say it, and that's a good thing. But what he's talking about here is the bogus accusations against us. If you're true and you are free from sin like Jesus has declared here and has done for us, then we can trust that, that it's been nailed to the cross like it says here. He's taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. He's gone, boom, free from sin. That's what happened. If you go to the court and, and you have, there was a charge against you, they would say, oh, this person's free from this charge. They would nail it up against a wall. Or like, like a bulletin board, if you will. And they would, they would say, this person's free. The cross, bam, our, our sins, that, that, that document that says that we are sinners and we're guilty, has been nailed to the cross when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Saying that we are forgiven, that we're free, we are no longer guilty. And this process has, as it says here, disarmed the powers and the authorities that come against us. These ones that we see in Ephesians and we see that we're talking about this morning. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So genuinely, the cross, that's why when, this, when we do the communion and whatnot, remember the cross. Because it's the cross and the power of the cross that actually has defeated the enemy. That has actually defeated him and his manipulation, his lies, and that pseudo-authority underneath him, that pseudo-power underneath him. The real authority, the real power is Jesus. So we serve him, we follow him, we trust that we're in the right place. We're in the winning team. And, and we need to be concerned about what he thinks more than anything else.